Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Well, if you are um, just joining us today, uh, you need to know that we are in a short Advent series, kind of actually picking up on an idea we dug into last year of taking a much-loved, familiar Christmas carol and leaning into it and letting it help us point towards the gospel and Jesus and what, this, uh, what the coming of Christ is all about. Last Sunday, Aaron t- tackled Frosty the Snowman. Just kidding. But he did threaten to, did he not? Yeah, stinker. And... No, he did a good job of It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, if you weren't with us and have always wanted to know more about that. Carol, he did a masterful job. And this Sunday, we're going to spend a few minutes in God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, one of your favorite carols. Probably not. I hope by the end it might start to feel that way. And let me say right off the top, it's not just for the gentlemen, but we'll get to that. In truth, when I chose this carol a month and a bit ago, I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. I looked into it a bit and thought there was something there, um, but I wasn't sure. But the more I've lingered with this carol, its history and its meaning, I've come to love it. And particularly its brilliant and needed understanding of the meaning and impact of the birth of Jesus, inviting us where we are right now to hear and feel the news of Jesus coming as tidings of true comfort and joy. That's the refrain of this carol, right? Which are needed, aren't they? By many, many of us in these days, we need tidings of comfort and joy. And I say that as someone who needs it. I woke up uh, four Sundays ago, four, four candles ago, four Sundays ago, and my heart said to God instantly, oh God, thank you for Advent. The season in the rhythm, the liturgy of the church, that doesn't just say, yay, everything's great, let's put up the lights, but God, the world is full of too much darkness, would you come? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive people. For me, this last season, in the midst of good things and beautiful things, I have been carrying a deep grief, um, grieving alongside of a friend, a close friend, as his marriage has suddenly come to an end. And I have found my soul day after day, sometimes hour after hour, just needing the tidings of comfort and joy that this carol declares. And maybe you do too. Now, unlike last week's carol, historians don't know who wrote God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. I feel like I have to say it slow every time. It's just like it gets lost in my mouth. God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. But despite the fact that we don't know who wrote it, the story of the carol's emergence is known. And it's fascinating because in a way, it, its writing was a quiet or not so quiet act of rebellion, defiance, and holy uh, hope in a world desperate for good news. Let me explain. Although it can't be dated precisely, this carol seems to have been written in 16th century England in a world not that different to the one we find depicted in Victor Hugo's Les Mis. Some of us know know the story. Jean Valjean, debtor's prison, the struggle of the masses. 
Hugo's famous novel was placed in mid-century, mid-19th century Paris, but it has so many similarities to the time and place in which God Rescue Mary Gentleman was written. As one student of the Carol explains, I'm quoting, it was a time when many probably felt oppressed and beat down by the monarchy and upper classes. Most people didn't live past the age of 40, and many children died before they were two years old. Debtor's prison was common in England during the 14th to 19th centuries, keeping some prisoners for 30 years or longer. Think lay miss. When a person failed to pay a debt, they were imprisoned, sometimes along with their family. Some people were thrown in prison for owing a debt as small as 60 cents. And at certain points in England's history, the vast majority of those in prison were there because of nothing other than debt. So much more could be said, but that alone is a window into how harsh, callous, and fearful life was for so many in England at the time. It was a crushing existence. And sadly, the church was not always in touch with this, was at times out of touch with this, with the struggling masses, at least in the sense of the established liturgy, the songs that were sung. A case in point, almost all church worship in this era was sung in Latin. I, I actually have a, a video, but I'm not going to show it off my phone and play for you. But the music is so beautiful of the 15th century in the church in England, but it is utterly inaccessible. It is all sung in Latin. And with that, obviously, deeply unhelpful to the vast majority of people, right? We sing the song here, and you understand what the words are. And there's moments in it where we, our hearts say, yes, or, oh God, are you really that good? Or, oh, I need that forgiveness. Imagine if all the lyrics were in Latin. How many Latin students do we have? Not many. Okay, a few back there. Well, interesting, the corner. Okay. So you're not the backsliders, as Jerry said. <laughs> Although I don't know if Latin makes you any holier. So, just smart. Or educated in certain places. Anyways, sorry. God bless you. But again, inaccessible, unhelpful. And with that, most of the music was really somber, which means the vast majority of church-going people kind of hated the liturgy. It just, it was something that shot over them missed them, didn't include them. And the people in the room could do nothing about it. And so, it seems, there emerged what one person describes as an underground worship writing movement. Writing religious folk songs that were light and lively and penned in common language. The most famous of these being, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Isn't that beautiful? Now, interestingly, there's a lot of versions of this song out there today. Pentatonics, not a Christian group at all, have made a mint on their arrangement of this song. And reviewers often comment about how wonderful these versions are because they're so lively in comparison to the original, which means they don't understand that the original, in its context, was super lively. It was actually the song that made people dance. <laughs> I love how one 
writer describes imagining this. She says, I imagine a group of poverty-stricken peasants gathering at the end of the grueling workday as they danced around the fire and sang the joyful songs of Christmas. Their burdens seemed to roll away. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. You can feel them like moving, right? As opposed to this somber Latin. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and, you're like, come on, let's go. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Dancing it up. Now, sadly, this song does not seem to make us dance. I had to ask Simon, please give us a robust version of this. Don't do this with it. And some of the, one of the reasons this song, the dance, is lost to us is because the, the meaning of the opening line, the title line, is largely lost on, on us because the meaning of certain words change over time, Right? We don't always realize it. And the opening line of this carol, the contemporary title of this carol, is a perfect, though unfortunate, example. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Sometimes with a comma, sometimes without it, sometimes in different places. So first, God rest ye. It's helpful to know that in Old English, the word rest didn't mean to give a break or renewal but it meant to make or to keep something or someone. Think of the word arrest. It means to take hold of something, not to let somebody have a break, right? If I arrest you, it's not like, hey, have a day off. No, I'm taking captive. I'm taking hold of you. And that's what the English word rest meant in the time of its writing. So God rests you should be God make ye. God keep Ye. And Guy is not a reference to the man formerly known as Kanye West, <laughs> but it simply means you. I don't know if you knew, he changed his name recently. Uh, next, Mary. And this is a little contentious, depending on where you're looking at your sources, but there are many who would argue that in Old English, Mary didn't mean happy, but meant strong, mighty. Uh, for instance, as many have noted, Robin, Robin Hood's Merry Men might have been happy and jolly, but that's not what the word meant. It meant strong. So come back to the carol, God rest ye merry, could say God make you strong. God keep you strong. Ray, God keep you strong. Stu, where are you? Oh, there you are. God make you strong. Woody, God make you strong. And then there's this um, comma. Not where Charles Dickens placed it in his famous novel, The Christmas Carol. He references this song in his carol, actually changes the name slightly. I think it's God Rest Ye Merry Christmas. Puts the period after God Rest Ye. God Rest Ye. Merry Christmas. That's what he did. But it comes after the Mary. Am I there? Next one. Yeah. God Rest Ye Merry gentlemen. And lastly, we all know, up until recently, in most generations before us, the term gentleman was not always a gender-exclusive term, but a reference to all people. And specifically, if we read this carol, it seems to be a reference to all who especially are weary, dismayed, afright, afraid. 
which leads me to want to translate this today, to say, God, make you strong, O weary one. Let nothing you dismay. God, make you strong, O weary one. Let nothing you dismay. Now, I want to acknowledge that there is some difference of opinion regarding how to translate the 16th century word Mary, but here's the beautiful thing. Either way, whether it's happy or strong, if rest means make, then this carol, the door of this carol is open to all of us, not just happy gentlemen, but to all of us, including and especially those who feel deep in the throes of Advent ache, grief, pain, loneliness, suffering, disappointment, loss, because this carol is not addressed to the merry, but to those who need to be made merry. And according to the writer of this dancing carol, this is possible because of what Christmas means and declares to us, because of what the angels announced to the shepherds. And if you were to read this carol and pay attention to the movement of it, you'll notice that the primary story of this carol is not about the manger, that scene. It's about the shepherds, how the news of Jesus' birth came First, from the angels, not to nobles and faithful, but to the last, the least, the lost, to shepherds, common shepherds, irreligious shepherds, people who didn't know Latin and had to write their own songs. And to the shepherds, it says, from God our heavenly Father, a blessed angel came, and unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same. They brought tidings. I want to linger for a moment on this word. We don't use tidings much unless we're singing this song, right? The angels brought tidings, news, an announcement, new news, good news. Now, sometimes Christians, you'll know this, exchange good news for gospel, right? Um, they're trying to maybe make the language more accessible, and there's good reason for that because the New Testament Koine Greek word gospel, euangelion, literally means good, you, eulogy, good word, angelion, message, good message, good news, gospel, good news. But more than that, and this has really been ringing out in my heart this last week as I live in Advent and pray for friends, long for God's inbreaking. This word, gospel, euangelion, in the ancient world, before it was used by Jesus and John in the gospels, this was a word that referred to a messenger being sent from a place of battle, bringing news of a victory in a far off place. News about something that had taken place over there that meant things could be different right here. Life can be different. Makes me think of a video a Ukrainian friend of mine shared with me recently, you've probably seen some like it, of Ukrainian soldiers showing up to liberate a Ukrainian village that the Russians had taken. And the people just leak with gratitude and hope and joy, tidings of comfort and joy, seeing their brothers, the Ukrainian army, come back and claim their city. And I can't help but think of Isaiah 52, verse 7. I have it written on my hand. I've been meditating on it all week. This beautiful text, some of us know it. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. That's not just a verse. That is a description of what euangelion means. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. 
of tidings of comfort and joy. Life can be different now because a better king, a liberating king has come. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. But don't let the, the, the refrain, the chorus, fool you. The good news is not the announcement of comfort and joy. The good news is the very coming of God himself, right? Into the world, two shepherds and four shepherds and to you and for you to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. This is the news that brings comfort and joy, the good news that makes weak hearts strong, broken lives new, that God is stronger than all that comes against us and all that wars within us. And in the birth of Jesus, the rescuing God, the better king, the liberating king has come to us. For us. Not just to make a season bright, but to rescue us. Fear not, then said the angel, let nothing you affright. This day is born a savior, the true and radiant light, to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might, O tidings of comfort and joy. And this isn't just the claim of the angels, and it's not just the the, the the aim of the carol. This is what we heard today in the testimonies of our friends, of Ray and Stu and Woody, is it not? How the gospel of Jesus isn't just news about a nice or better way to live, but it is an announcement of real rescue, real restoration, the possibility and the availability to all of new life in Jesus, from Jesus, new hope, forgiveness of sin, healing of broken and distorted hearts, reconciliation with God and the empowerment of the spirit of Jesus in us to learn and follow the ways of a reconciling God. This is the gospel proclaimed in the carol. It's the gospel the angels announced to the shepherds. Luke chapter two, verse 10 to 11. Do not be afraid, the angels said. Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. The birth of Jesus, the reality of Jesus coming into the world is good news of comfort and joy because Jesus is our saving king, the one who saves. It's literally what his name means, Jesus means Yahweh saves. And because the one who saves has come to us and for us, we who live in an Advent world, shepherds in first century Palestine, peasants in the 16th century England, and you and I right here in a broken world can know true comfort and joy. The messenger has arrived, letting us know Something's happened that's changing life right here. The Savior has come. And and honestly, for me, as I've I've been meditating on this verse for a while, uh, Isaiah 52, sorry, it's written on my hand. I do that to help me meditate on scripture. I use a Sharpie sometimes. It's totally against the rules. But it helps me linger on a scripture. I see Isaiah 52 verse 7 and my mind runs to how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. But here's the beautiful thing. In the story, it's not just a messenger that shows up. It's not just the angels that come. It's Jesus himself. 
Imagine that scene. The messenger, the euangelion, the, the, the gospelizer running over the hill. But it's not just someone with a message. It is God himself. That is the gospel that Christmas in, invites us to come alive to in the midst of all these things. And interestingly, this phrase, comfort and joy, that the carol writer has pulled, I, don't, I only know of one passage in all of Scripture, Jeremiah 31, verse 13, where we find those paired together, comfort and joy. If you've been with us this fall, you know we talked a lot about Jeremiah 29. The people of God, Israel, finding themselves in exile for 70 years, long desolation. Chapter 29, chapter 30, Chapter 31, this outbreak of news of rescue that's coming. And in verse 13, it says that he will bring comfort and joy instead of mourning, and they will dance. The young women, the young men, the old men, Jerry, they'll dance. Because according to the angels, as the carol tells us, the one who is running over the hilltops to you today, by the grace of the Spirit who brings the gospel to us again and again, is Jesus himself, the good news himself, come to set us free. Life can be different because Jesus, a better king, a liberating king, has come to you and to me. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. So friends, are you weary? Are you weary from living under self-rule, your own way, your own master? What he said it. He said, I, I, I heard about Jesus years ago, but I didn't want to give up control of my life. Salvation is saying, God, you're the better king. You know how to rule my life. You made me. Are you weary from oppressive masters, even your own? Are you in need of rescue today? Are you in need of a better king, a liberating king? Come, come out from your hiding and let Jesus set you free. Let's pray. Lord, in the stillness, I know some of our hearts, maybe many, are saying, oh, Jesus, yes, yes. Come to my village. And we just open our hands to you with gratitude first and foremost that you are the one that seeks us, that we aren't the ones who run over the hills, though we think we are at times, but you are the one who's run to us in Jesus you are the one coming over the hill to bring your liberating life and rule to us. And so I lift you, my brothers and sisters, right here, and we ask God that you would lead us in just opening our hearts to you again today, coming out from our hiding again today, naming the place of our hiding, of our self-rule, of our not trusting 
our, ourselves to you and seeking, putting our trust in other things. Oh, Jesus, you are the liberating king and you have come to set us free. Awaken us to the glory and goodness of your rule that our hearts today might say yes, yes. And find life with others who need you as much as we do. Thank you, God, for your invitation today.